Welcome to uh, another episode of Struggle Session. Yes, I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Leslie Lee the Third, and it's uh, it's very unfortunate, but uh, well, we had to let go of Jack. It's very sad. Yeah, um, Jack Allison, um, co-creator. Well, not really co-creator. I feel like we created. Uh, we in case created there are any lo- it. We created it. In case there are any lawsuits out there, fact, he's he's. So we're not going to give him that credit for a co-creator. Um, but co-host of the show, he was a very important um, part of the show, but he's no longer a part of the show. And why is because I, I, I'm sure some of you know, I flew out to L.A. to, you know, meet Jack, meet JDB for Jack's wedding. And I just want to say it was a beautiful ceremony. Like, it was wonderful. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, it was nice. It was real nice, and it was finally, it was so nice to meet Jack and JB. I mean, I felt like I already knew them, but like me, uh, me and JB, he's a great guy. Jack, fantastic guy, great guy. His wife, uh, his new wife, Kate, just amazing, amazing woman. Um, just a fantastic couple. I'm very happy for them. Um, but me and JDB were kind of talking. Yeah, and it, we've been getting a lot of feedback online, uh, mostly on Tumblr and Twitter. Uh, you know, marriage, as all of you know, is a cis-heteronormative patriarchal institution that is, uh, you know, designed to keep people down. And since Jack has decided to uh, oppress his wife, Kate, we cannot have him on the show anymore. No, no. It, it's, I mean, it's extremely, like, especially for Jack, who's, you know... A white man, a blue-eyed white man at that. I mean, like you, you can't get any more problematic as a person as than than Jack. And so for him to get married is just, it was frankly incredible. I mean, it was a beautiful ceremony, beautiful ceremony. But yeah, it, like, it's just you know, very problem. Yeah, very problem. Oh yeah, the snake eater entrance of, that Hideo Kojima um, tweeted. We tweeted out. that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, they had snake eater as their song sung live. But yeah, it was incredibly problematic for Jack um, to get married, and so we fired him from. He's the show. gone. He's uh, no longer part of Struggle Session. Now he said that he'd be cons- he'd be open to the idea of uh, appealing, possibly suing us when he gets back from his honeymoon in th- in Thailand in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just take it uh, one step at a time. But uh, yeah, just want to make it clear: this is not just a joke to cover the fact that Jack is on his honeymoon. No, for never. the next two weeks, um, we would never joke about something like this ever so jack is gone he's done he's fired from the show he's not going to come back in two weeks <laughs> at all in nope. fact we are looking for new hosts we're looking to uh bring in a, a third person because we want to keep a three-person team going today we're just going to do two but i think I, by our next episode we'll have a new host of struggle session i think that's very very exciting it's very exciting we'll see we'll see how uh she does and yeah, so, uh, uh, you know who knows? Maybe she'll take over for Jack. Yeah, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm confident. We already have someone picked out. I think they're going to work great with the show. Um, and I think <laughs> I'm very excited to tell you all for you all to hear the next episode. We're going to record it very soon. And yeah, so but that's old business. Jack's done. He's gone. Just you know, say bye bye. He likes telling other people bye bye. Well, bye bye. Bye Jack. bye, Jack. <laughs> enjoy, uh, enjoy Thailand. Uh, I will obviously, of course, be continuing to use his office space to record behind yes. his back because he did give me a key. So, you know, we just have to. The hours might get a little wonky because we've got to only record between the hours of uh, midnight and six a.m. 
so he doesn't know. Yeah, but 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 it'll it'll work out. Don't worry, the show will keep going. We, yeah, we we don't, we don't need them. You know, I gotta say it was really great hanging out with you, dude. I had so much fun. Uh, it was a blast. Yeah, Just it was awesome. being earnest. It was really cool finally meeting you and hanging out with you and hitting the road and uh, getting the three of us together. Uh, we gotta do some kind of live show at some point. I've decided. Like, yeah, we're gonna definitely. hit a point. We gotta start doing live shows. Uh, um. With but our to, new host, with our new host. With our new host, of course. But uh, today we're going to talk about a fun thing we did when Leslie was staying uh, in L.A. with me, which is we watched a shitload of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which is a very, very, very cool new show. It was made in conjunction with Channel 4 and Amazon. Uh, at first I thought it was only made by Amazon, but I guess this had actually aired in the UK about yeah, six I, months ago. I just realized this. I just looked it up. I, I feel a little bit betrayed by Amazon Prime because they never mentioned this. Like Netflix, I think uh, like when Black Mirror came out, like everybody already was pirating it off of BBC by the time Netflix bought it. But like those, you know, Brit bastards have had this show for months already and we're just getting like the second helping of it like yeah it's kind of fucked well, up it is fucked up well it's, it's actually i've noticed that's we that's won n- that war we i did l- 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 last time i checked we not only did we win that war but uh this seems to be a running theme actually i've started to notice where co-productions that are made between like international broadcasters very rarely uh go to america first now uh, and by the way, that even applies to like the superhero movies, which usually come out internationally a few weeks before they come to the States. It's kind of an interesting thing because yeah. it used to be uh, that uh, you would open – because we were, you know, America, the king of all media empires. We would get our our movies and TV shows before anybody else. And uh, that's not really the case anymore when you're yeah. doing these uh, international co-productions. Yeah, I remember. I saw, I saw Amazing Spider-Man 2 like a month before it came out. Uh, in the states because i was in japan and sony produced it so like they put it out in japan like super super early and i was a little bit blown away by it because it was always america first but uh you know i guess that's why you know uh we elected trump because it's no longer america first and i'm sure he's going to address you know the release dates of uh superhero movies in the state of union i just think that uh the idea that thor could come out three weeks before it came out in America and another country to be appalling. It's a, I mean, it's an absolute it's, it's an absolute insult to us. We yeah, deserve to be first. I yeah. mean, it is our birthright to have these movies first. Yeah, thanks, uh, Obama. Thanks, Obama. Another another great <laughs> another great thing you did. Was, <laughs> no, but okay. So Channel Feel- Four makes some pretty cool. They actually did produce Black Mirror before it got sent to Netflix. So Channel Four seems to be in the. British dystopia business and the the end of the fucking world on Netflix as well, which I would like to do in another episode. Uh, yeah, but 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 the important thing is this is a Philip K. Dick series. The, yes. Philip K. Dick, one of my favorite um, writers. He I, I haven't read all the stuff because he wrote so goddamn much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully, before I, I I die, I will finish all of his novels and short stories. But Philip K. Dick is just amazing writer. Like one, I think the best sci fi. Writer, I don't think anybody has outdone what he's done in all his various modes. And like, I actually the one really cool thing about Phil K. Dick is they've adapted his work has been adapted so many times, and it's usually pretty good. 
like Total Recall's good, um, Blade Runner's good, Scanner, uh, not Scanner, Scanner Darkly, uh, Scanner Darkly, fan fucking tasket. Oh yeah, yeah, one of Richard Linklater's best films, and and Screamers too. Screamers based on the Philip K. Dick short short story, and that is a fucking awesome fucking B sci-fi movie. It's mm. so good because and and it's the Dick's uh, storyline that really helps elevate you know this B movie to what should be a cult classic. I guess uh, I haven't seen too many people into it, but like it's a. If you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it. It's fucking I haven't seen great. Screamers. Oh, it's so good. Like Tell they mar- they market it as like Tremors, but like mm. it's not that at all. It's n- it's completely completely different. It's kind of amazing like in terms of uh dystopian science fiction writers. So much dystopia that we grew up reading was usually about like religious extremism or uh you know uh, some you know government surveillance and kind of like these are very often the kind of themes we hear in dystopians like evil governments evil theocrats but what Philip K. Dick was he pioneered the idea of science fiction as corporate critique the idea that it's not the government or religious well it's not just the government he does all of them he does re- religious zealots too in, in several stories and gov- government a lot but he also and but he he what he does is he points out uh, like corp the corporate element too in a couple of the shows like uh uh figure that out as well uh, but we'll talk about that later but yeah he gets all three like we're going to be controlled by you know any of these things and it's really um prescient uh as this show shows because the show is uh is coming out 40 50 years after he's written these stories and they still feel like forward looking today i mean it's remarkable like philip k dick died in 1982 and he died like pretty young he was like in his i think yeah he was 50 54 years old according to uh, our good friends wikipedia and i mean this is a guy who and you know told stories that really pushed everything we, you know, pushed the idea of of what consciousness is, what reality is, uh, how we perceive our own identities, how we perceive superstructures, and how we perceive hierarchies. And and uh, what, it, what, it, what it really boils down to is that he had this anti-authoritarian aesthetic that is really, really punk rock in the world of science fiction, and really just in general, in all fiction. Uh, yeah, he was always like because and the thing is, he was drawing a lot from his life because he would hang out with, you know, uh, stoners and druggies and hang out in Berkeley with radicals and, and stuff like that. And he brought that all in to his work and he thought he was being surveilled by the FBI and he believed all these things and he wrote wrote about them uh, in a way that is, I like a lot of people don't really like his writing style. They feel it's a bit too, you know, kind of, uh, kind of flat, um, kind of. But I, I, I enjoy it because it's, it's very. It reminds me. It's very noirish. I yeah. feel his writing. Um, so I, 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 I really appreciate him. Like he, he has a great grasp of, I of his concepts and ideas, and he brings them in a way that's very, you know concrete and at times shocking because the writing is somewhat flat but it's talking about these you know fantastical ideas and that keeps it grounded and keeps it real no matter how you know weird the stuff that's going on is his writing 
is very uh, pedestrian almost and easy to understand and easy to follow. And I think but that's that, what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, often science fiction writers can get so lost in jargon and can get so lost in 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 uh, in, in, in really just descriptive borderline lyrical science descriptions. Oh, yeah. And, I, and like, I don't really care. I'm a character's guy. Like, yeah, yeah. I, and maybe that makes me like an asshole who doesn't care about science. But like, to me, give me like a Philip Gay Dick story with a, a, a you know, a dark affectation and less, uh, less of the descriptions. Of yes, the, yes. I, you know, like, Philip K- like the worst example I can think of is like Peter Watts. Yeah. Uh, he wrote Blindsight. Which is a pretty good book, and he doesn't fall too uh, down the rabbit hole of being. Didn't he also write Crisis Two? Or am I crazy? Did Peter Watts write Crisis Two? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think he's written any video games. Um, He wrote a Crisis novel. My mistake. Okay. Yeah, but like his the sequel, Echo Proxia. It's it's impossible to follow. He literally had to write an explainer for it because he. His use of the language, it w- he would never talk about what's actually going on. He was always used these similes and metaphors to describe everything. Like if you're making, you know, a literary novel where it's just you're just talking about two people sitting in the rooms being upset with each other, that's fine. But when you're trying to build this, you know, intergalactic journey and you never say what's actually going on, it can be very, very hard to follow. So like he's at the other end of the spectrum from Philip K. Dick, and I'm much rather a philip k dick story because he would have told every he because he had ideas just as wonderful and fantastical but you could actually follow them yeah i feel sort of that way about like neil stevenson snow crash is one of my favorite books but if you ask me to read it again i will just skip through the hundred pages or so of going through like the history of sanskrit and 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 language as a means of control and don't get me wrong i love that shit uh but when I'm reading a story, like I'm, it, it to me, it's like I'm worried about hero protagonist and YT catching up to the nuke, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's hit the brakes and let's spend, uh, you know, five chapters talking about the history of digital information, and it's like, I'm good. I mean, <laughs> I think maybe in 1992 that blew minds, but I don't know. It's it's like that's actually probably, you know, it's interesting. I think it. It's it's the Philip K. Dick straddles that line between the hard sci-fi and the soft sci-fi in a way that very few writers did because it was accessible enough for casual readers, but also I'd say sciencey enough for like the obsessives and those obsessives, of course, it's never enough for. And but- he he, he kind of gets a pass because he started like before hard sci-fi became like its own like defined genre so he could come up so he will always make like every Philip K story you read he's making up new technologies a new new fantastical concept they don't necessarily have any scientific basic basis just him looking at the world now and say what would this be like you know 200 years from now or how would this be exploited how would this one thing be exploited 200 years from now so he's more he's not really I don't think he's really hard sci-fi more that he doesn't get judged by the same standards that like a hard sci-fi would guy would, and you know you can't really dis- discount Philip K. Dick from the history of science fiction. Like he's just too big. Well, and it's interesting because he's also a pioneer in like psychedelic fiction too. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's not just that these 
like, I mean, a, you know, great example is Scanner Darkly or Adjustment Bureau, or even when some of these episodes, uh, uh, what, what was the name? The Impossible Planet, which is the short story I read that uh, was adapted in Electric Dreams. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So I will say, what, what would you say your favorite uh, Philip K. Dick story is? My favorite, my, well, my favorite book is probably, um, my, my favorite book, probably A Scanner Darkly. I, I really love that one. And it really uh, got to me because I kind of experienced uh, some of the things he talks about that inspired him to write the book, you know, losing so many friends to drugs and drug use. He says, mm. he's, he uses a, uh, he has a beautiful quote where he basically says, people were being punished uh, far too much for just having fun and being young. And, and that's something like, uh, like f- that happened like on Facebook, like five days ago, another friend of a friend died from drug use because I used to be a, a DJ in the rave scene. I personally have never actually done drugs or even been drunk, but I knew so many friends who did. And and by the way, I'm pretty blown away by that. You are you are uh, as they call it, straight edge. Because yeah, I not go, so. Go no, I'm not. See, I don't want to offend the straighters because the straight edges was like because every once in a while I will have a drink just that you know, taste it or whatever. And a straight edge person would not do that at all. I don't, I don't think. And like some are, I won't even like uh, do cap caffeine or like if they're prescribed certain medicines, they won't take them. Yeah. I, uh, so, oh wait, so wait, you drink caffeine? Uh, every so often I'll have Yeah, because you weren't big into coffee. Yeah, but you had one, we had one cup, you had one cup of coffee when I had maybe like 20 over the course <laughs> yeah. of the weekend. I am addicted to caffeine. Uh, I don't drink as much alcohol as I used to in my 20s, in my early 20s rather, I'm still 28. Uh, but in my early 20s I would drink a lot and I've pretty much all but replaced that with weed. And I smoke a lot of weed, as Leslie knows. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, I think Phil, I, Phil K. Dick did his fair amount of drugs. But uh, Scanner Darkly, it's my it's my favorite book. I think it's just so sad, like in it's a deep, really sad, deeply sad way. And it's deeply sad. Um, but a little bit, there's a little bit of hope at the very end. Um, the protagonist basically loses his entire fucking mind. He starts off as a cop who's surveilling drug users and ends up becoming a drug user because he's a cop and ends up being surveilled, ends up being just, he doesn't know who he is by the end of the book because he's been living these two um, separate lives and becomes two separate people. And then he ends up becoming like not a person at all, actually, by the end. And it's just uh, deeply sad, very well written, very well uh, told. Um, it's actually one of the. It's not. There's not. There's less sci-fi in it actually, because th- you could tell that story like in the modern day without any of the technology, and it would still be a very similar story. But it, it's a commentary on you know the surveillance state, the police state, and how um, it, it's just basically turning people into cops who inform on themselves and 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 everybody's a cop everyone's a cop in the book basically everyone's Everyone's a a cop and everyone's a junkie it's crazy because the opioid epidemic wasn't even in full swing and this was also before the crack epidemic but but that is what the toxic combination of drugs in a surveillance state does it's a society of narcs and cops who are all addicted to shit and informing on each other all the time anyway yeah so what's your favorite um philip k dick story i mean 
Honestly, probably also Scanner Darkly, but uh, if I was to get into another one, so just for the sake of not being, you know, the same, uh, I loved Minority Report. Minority Report is so good. Minority Report, I think, is just as good as the movie. And I love, and it's kind of weird that Philip K. Dick is one of the few writers that people often compare the movies more favorably than the source material. Like, very often it's people go like, oh yeah, I like Lord of the Rings, but the book is better. It's very rare that I hear people say that they like the Philip K. Dick source material better than the adaptations, which is kind of confusing to me. Uh, because, like, you know, well, do androids... Cause a lot of them have been just good. Like, they've been good. I don't know if they've been better, but they've been really good. Well, they've all been really good. I mean, it's not all of it. There's a few of them that... Paycheck isn't good. Yeah, Paycheck is bad. Even though it was directed by John... Well, I guess the problem was it was directed by John Woo. And like it's a short story, like some like so many of the short stories, the ending is not like a Hollywood ending at all. A lot of the times, the people end up uh, conforming, like like that, like the short story of uh, Paycheck. The at the end, he ends up, you know, kind of turning himself into the corporation, letting them do uh, what they want, and just he just wants to go back to his life. Basically, it's the same thing that happens, I think, at the end of uh, Total Recall. Even though there is a little uh, extra twist at the end, but he doesn't end up, you know, trying to liberate Mars or anything like that. You know, yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. Total Recall is a great example of like I've noticed that also Philip K. Dick adaptations are very rarely completely one hundred percent like we are sticking to the source material. Oh yeah. You can't, it, the people who adapt Philip K. Dick stories love to mess with them, and I think that's probably because some of the uh, just some of the prose is not really filmable. Yeah, it's not. It's a sense. lot of a lot. So many of the books are very internal um, stories. Like unless you're going to do like constant, um, you know, voice, voiceover. Which to be fair, different. the original theatrical cut of Blade Runner was nothing but that shit. It was just Deckard, you know reading uh, monologues in the background between every scene and it it, it is not good like it's if not you good filmmaking yeah don't don't watch the theatrical cut of blade runner i mean there's like five cuts of blade runner you can watch just watch the fucking final cut i know it's annoying because there's so many and it makes the movie seem impossible to uh to t- totally understand just watch the watch the final cut yeah don't watch the director's cut or the theatrical cut yeah is it and because the thing about ad- adaptation ad- adapting novels is like they weren't written to be movies at least at least uh back then now they are um but they weren't written to be movies so so much of what's going on what's interesting is the eternal um conflict that the um characters are engaged with that you can't really get across 100 percent on screen um Screen, so that's why you have to do a good adaptation. And I think so many of Philip K. Dick's works have had great adaptations because they've had people who get it and have adapted them. Like Blade Runner is completely different from Do Androids Dream of Electronic Sheep, but they're both you know great pieces of art because really Scott read the book and said, "All right, I'm gonna make this make a movie that." plays with some of these same things and will still be good and engaging because without uh directly adapting everything that happens in the book because the book is very different in a lot of ways like um rachel is evil um there's nothing noble about um the and the androids really there they are like completely devoid of 
empathy and really uh, creepy and violent for no particular reason. And it's more about how Deckard it has to live in this world where both humans and androids are all pieces of shit instead of him kind of finding the redeeming qualities in androids themselves. He just kind of finds that all humans are more or less kind of weird and irredeemable. Yeah, I think that there is a, uh, I don't want to say cynicism to his work, but there is kind of a general sense that things are not going in the right direction. Oh, there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of cynicism. Like, like as I said, like a lot of the short stories is in with very unhappy endings or endings where the person ends up, the person you think is the protagonist ends up uh, basically giving in to what you were hoping they were fight against fighting against oh man i also uh i also see that next with nicholas cage was a philip cage yeah the, the, I, didn't, the I, golden I didn't remember man. that one the golden man that's a it's a good ass story but i don't think next had really did it. i don't know maybe it was good maybe maybe they did exactly what, it, what i said where instead of having you know a gold uh mutant they just had nicholas cage who can see the future and they turned into a badass movie maybe, maybe they did i haven't watched that one yet though all right, so let's get on to this adaptation, Electric yes. Electric Dreams. Mm. I, I just want to say, first of all, I really enjoyed it on the whole. I thought it was great, and I will say, yes, it's better than Black Fucking Mirror by, by, by a lot. I would say it's better than the last two seasons of Black Mirror, but on par with the first one. I love the first season of Black Mirror, and I don't feel like the show has ever really uh, caught up with the genius of those first three episodes. But Philip K. Dick's uh, Electric Dreams, to me, uh, is the exactly the kind of science fiction show I've been looking for for quite a long time. I mean, it is straight up Outer Limits redo. You yeah. know, it is, It is. Uh, if you liked uh, any of those early 2000s, late 90s cable, B-grade sci-fi shows, anthology series, this is the one for you. To hear the full episode... Subscribe at patreon.com slash struggle session. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.